Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. The phrase Batman and Robin is one of the most well-known in superhero media, but today we're asking what happens when the character of Robin goes out on their own. We're looking at Tim Drake coming out as being queer. We're looking at the rivalry between Dick Grayson and Jason Todd as both of them struggle with what does it mean to no longer be Batman's sidekick. We're looking at all the questions that come up and we're doing that with comic book whiz Jessica Plummer. All that and more after commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. And not every time, but most of the time we dive, especially into characters from the comics. Uh, I'm joined by Jessica Plummer. Jessica, who is a uh, constantly telling me that Batman is not her favorite, but I keep finding ways to get her to talk about people from the Batman universe. Uh, and I'm really glad you're here today to talk about the when Robins leave the nest. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Well, and it, this is kind of an odd topic we're talking about. So let me kind of tell the story of how this came about. And so what inspired this was uh, not long ago, we found out that Tim Drake, who is the third of the Robins after Dick Grayson and Jason Todd, the third person to to wear the mantle of Robin uh, in uh, partnership with Batman, uh, who now is sort of using the Robin title because Damian Wayne is out of town. I don't quite understand it, but Jessica's going to help fill us all in on that when we get to that. But the point is that it was announced that in an upcoming comic, which I believe has now been released, or at least the cover has been released, uh, he is now canonically queer. He is shown um, flirting with and then I think uh, kissing and beginning a relationship with a, another man. Uh, he, he is also masculine presenting and male identified in the comics. And so uh, I was excited about this. Jessica and I started talking about this and it got us into this great discussion about the character of Robin and or so the archetype of Robin and how so many different people have worn that mantle and what does that mean and what does it mean to have you know, this Tim Drake character kind of off on his own, the way Dick Grayson is, the way Jason Todd is. And we were already kind of bouncing that idea around and trying to decide how to get a handle on it, at which point the third season of HBO's TV show, Titans, was released. I started watching season one because I was really excited about it. And um, there'll be some mild spoilers for season one, but I'll try not to get too much into it. But for anyone who has not seen it, uh, the star of that show, or at least one of the, the kind of lead of the ensemble is Dick Grayson. And the show is about Dick Grayson learning to live while he is no longer Robin, or at least is trying to decide if he is going to keep being Robin while he's no longer working with Batman. And along the way, he runs into Jason Todd, who is still Robin, and there's conflict there. And it just sort of raised all these great questions about what is this character of Robin, the archetype of Robin that so many different characters have filled, and, and what does it mean that we're getting all these great stories about not only Batman and Robin, but what happens when that Robin, like I said, leaves the nest, becomes no longer partner with Batman, but gets to go off and do their own stories. So, uh, Jessica, I'm so excited you could be a part of this. And kind of that's that's my take on the kind of intro. What where are you coming from in terms of like this topic we're talking about and kind of your overall thoughts on it? Um, yeah. So I, I mean, as you you said earlier, Batman is not my favorite. I don't hate him, but he's not my favorite. Um, but I have loved the idea of Robin you know, even before I really got into comics, like I would, that the idea always really appealed to me. I love the idea of kid sidekicks. Um, and when I started to read comics, started to dabble in comics, um, mm -hmm. it was right. It was in like 2003, 2004, which is when Stephanie Brown, who is the fourth Robin, the only girl Robin in main continuity 
briefly became Robin. And I saw, like, I still remember how I felt seeing a girl Robin on the stands. And I was not a kid in 2004. I was in in college. Mm -hmm. But I, I, it just, like, it resonated so strongly with me. And I became a diehard fan, like, in the instant of seeing that comic book cover. Of course, they killed her off a few months later because it was a stunt. Mm -hmm. But she's back now. She's fine. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I've just always very much been drawn to kid sidekicks and Robin in particular. Um, and I am so excited for Tim. I'm so happy for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and very, very happy to talk about Robins. Yeah. I, I think it's such an interesting thing because for anyone who's listened to my, um, for anyone who's listened to the comic book history episodes that we've done, where it's mostly me interviewing Jess, cause Jess knows so much more about this than I do. Um, and in those, we've really gone deep into like all these different periods of of comic book history and how Robin was a kind of really important character to be added to Batman in part to fight some homoeroticism ideas and um, for with a lot of homophobia wrapped up there that we're definitely going to get into. So yeah, I, I think it's such an interesting direction for for the Tim Drake character to go, and and we're going to get into that. But let's just start by doing kind of a quick rundown. Um, can you, Jessica, and I'll kind of probably stop with questions, so it's not just a monologue, but give us kind of just a quick rundown of who have been these, the the five Robins we've gotten, and we're especially tonight focusing on the, the original three, Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake. Give us kind of just a quick rundown on who they are. Okay, and this is, to clarify, these are the Robins in continuity, so it doesn't touch on, like, Carrie Kelly, who is Robin in The Dark Knight Returns, and there are other if you really want to pull up a list of, you know, 30 people who have been Robin, you can do that. Like Superboy was Robin, but these, <laughs> these are the real Robins. Um, okay. So uh, the first was Dick Grayson. If you've ever seen a movie or a TV show with Robin, it was almost certainly Dick Grayson. And if it wasn't, then it's something like Titans or Batman, the animated series where he was the first Robin. And then somebody else comes along like Jason or Tim. Right. Um he debuted in 1940. He was a circus acrobat along with his parents. Um, and his parents were killed by gangsters um, who sabotaged the trapeze in order to get the circus owner to pay protection money. Bruce Wayne happened to be in the audience and he saw this young boy horribly orphaned and, you know, felt a kinship with him because of it. And so he adopted him. And depending on, I mean, the story has been told and retold ad nauseum. Um, in right. fact, DC just announced they're going to be doing another retelling starting in November. <laughs> at, um, at this point, I feel like the the trapeze swing that's empty is only second to the pearls breaking in terms yes. of like most iconic Batman shots. Absolutely, 100%. Um, so it, depending on which story, like there are some where Bruce is like, hey, that orphan kid's going to be a great sidekick. And there are some where he's like, He'll probably never figure out that I dress up like a bat and fight crime. <laughs> Both of which are not great. Uh, right. I Bruce wasn't really thinking about the future, I don't think. Um, but he takes Dick in. Dick, in whatever way, finds out that Bruce is Batman and becomes Robin. Um, and Dick was Robin from 1940 to 1984, which um, is a, a very long run, but it, it, he is now... He has been he, Nightwing, which is the sort of adult name that he took on 
1984 mm-hmm. for almost as long, which is yeah. crazy to me because A, I think of Nightwing as being a very modern um, aspect of the character and B, I was born in 1984. So <laughs> <laughs> it just makes me feel old. No, uh, it's, still, it's still new. And, and is Nightwing, uh, is Nightwing when he has broken with, with Batman, Nightwing is kind of off on his own, or does Nightwing still work in partnership with Batman? Yeah, Nightwing is is very much off on his own. So in 1980, um, the, the Teen Titans have been around since 1966. Mm-hmm. But in 1980, we got the new Teen Titans, which was um, a more adult, edgier version. Like the 1966 version is very much like, they're like constantly doing the twist and talking in like teen (laughs) slang and like going to beach parties where they're surfing. It's great. It's delightful, but it's no teenager has ever been anything like that. Uh Um, And starting in 1980, uh, the DC was basically trying to uh, capitalize on the popularity of X-Men who Mm -hmm. were older teens and very angsty. And so this is when you get characters like Starfire and Raven and Cyborg. Um, right. Debuting. Um, so the lineup that you're familiar with from Titans, from the animated Teen Titans, most of those characters, if they didn't debut in 1980, they like Beast Boy is from the 60s, but he joined the Titans in 1980. Got um, it. Okay. So at that point, Dick was already very, like he had already gone off to college. Right. He and Bruce had, were very tense and he was. He was an adult. He was like 20. He was ready to be his own man and things were getting more and more tense. And then finally he decided he was done being Robin. He didn't know what he wanted to be next. And right around the same time, Bruce meets another 12-year-old orphan circus (laughs) acrobat. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, Okay. So really the same kind of character. Oh, yeah. When Jason was first introduced, he was straight up a ripoff of Dick. They literally like... Dick's family was the Flying Graysons, and mm-hmm. Jason's was the Flying Todds. It oh, was, boy. <laughs> it, it was not subtle. Um, like, we're not going to be saying a lot of positive things about Bruce Wayne overall, but I have to start with, you know, already, if a friend of mine is dating someone, and then they break up, and then they start dating someone who's very similar to them, I'm going to raise an eyebrow. I think with foster children, that dynamic is significantly worse. <laughs> Oh, it's so much worse than you think because Jason, when he was originally introduced, had like strawberry blonde hair that he had oh, to no. dye black oh, no. to look more like Dick so that so that criminals wouldn't know that Robin had changed. Dick was 20 and Jason was 12. They were gonna know. Oh, God. Now, one of the things that I, that I now today think of as very essential to the Dick Grayson character, and I think it's a very important part of the conversation we're going to have, is that... Dick, and I, I think this is definitely in the Titans show, it's definitely in the Batman the Animated Series, and I think it's in a couple of other places, uh, but that Dick's parents also died because of crime, uh, yes. often because the Flying Grit, they, they owed money to a crime family or some kind, and that Bruce Wayne sees in Dick another child who desperately wants revenge in the same way that he did, and so part of why he, he leads Robin into the life of, you know, uh, crime fighting is because he believes that like he needs to help Robin channel his desire for revenge in the same way his were channeled. It, has that always been a part of the great? Well, I'm sure it hasn't given like comic code stuff, but has that for a long time been part of the Grayson character? And was that also part of the Jason Todd character? 
Um, it's definitely to a greater or lesser extent. Yes. It has always been part of Dick's character. At least that like Bruce and Dick see one another in each other's origins. Like you two were orphaned as a young boy by crime. You want to either get revenge or stop this from happening to somebody else. Like there are, you know, more, Mm -hmm. um, altruistic or more vengeful ways that it's been interpreted but yeah absolutely that's definitely a through line and um I've seen people point this out in like commentary and I also think it's it's actually said out loud in the comics that Dick as as a person as a character not that he's not they're all extremely damaged individuals. Everybody in the Bat family needs to be yeah. in therapy for the entire rest of their lives. But Dick, <laughs> overall, is significantly healthier than Bruce. Like, he has functional relationships. Um, mm. Not romantic ones. Those are disasters. But he has functional friendships. Right. And, like, he is... He is generally, speaking very generally, a happier and more um together individual while also teetering on the edge of a nervous breakdown at all times um but like in in a more somewhat more functional way like he doesn't live alone in a cave okay um and the, the argument has been made many times that he did not become bruce because he had bruce Mm, i can see that okay and that's really in that that I think in some ways that is a bit of a defense of Bruce and that I think Bruce at times has said things like that is that he doesn't want Dick to turn into someone just like him, yeah. even though, of course, he does. And and that it's certainly that's part of the story of trying to shift from vengeance towards altruism of, you know, punish the ones who did it versus stop others from doing it again is definitely something that Bruce tries to to, to push him towards. But yes, I think um, and, and certainly the show Titans, one of the things that I'm most enjoyed about it is how much it is exploring, you know, that maybe for the 12-year-old boy whose parents had been killed, being adopted by Bruce and adopted into the life of Batman and Robin was not the most therapeutically helpful thing for him. <laughs> and and in that show, I think he's a lot more damaged than what you're discussing, but it's very much being described in terms of, like, what happened by being adopted by Bruce. So we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. Um, uh, talk to me now, just talk now about more Jason Todd. So Jason Todd also have that revenge slash you've seen evil you should fight evil kind of story i mean he does now uh as a so like i was saying when he was first introduced in 1983 he was also a circus acrobat um and then his parents were eaten by crocodiles which is hilarious (laughs) to me okay Uh, not not killer croc though actual crocodiles killer croc fed them to the crocodiles at the zoo Okay, okay. So it wasn't yes. just like a random crocodile. It was Killer Croc was involved, but actual crocodiles. Got right. It. No, it's not like how um, in the comics, Green Arrow's parents originally were eaten by lions just because they happened to be on safari, which is a true thing. And it's endlessly funny to me. I mean, you know, if, if we've got to talk about white tourism and bounty hunting and, you know, <laughs> they, like trophy hunting and the like. They but were anyway. really poaching and they deserved it. But there you that's go. beside the point. Um, so... Yeah, Jason originally had a very similar origin. And then a couple years later, DC was like, what if we made him a different character and he wasn't just the (laughs) same? Um, So they revised his character. And instead of being a circus acrobat, he was a street kid whose father um, was like a petty criminal 
um, who was dead, his mother was a drug addict who had also recently passed away. And so he was living on his own and he meets Batman uh, when he tries to steal the tires off the Batmobile. Okay. <laughs> and Bruce catches him and Jason hits him in the stomach with the tire iron and runs away. <laughs> I mean, aim high, kid. I appreciate this, you know. It's so good. Um, and Bruce is like, that's hilarious. Do you want to yeah. be Robin? And Jason's <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> it's pretty great. Okay. Um, so... He yeah. Early on, he was not really motivated by vengeance. And actually, it's funny in the in the original iteration, after his parents are eaten by crocodiles. Um, so Dick actually feels very um, personally responsible for this because like they're circus people, and he knew them, and it's mm-hmm. complicated. So he tries to adopt Jason, and Bruce is like, "Too late! I'm already adopting him." Oh boy, <laughs> which is. Really, like, from what you've said, I don't watch Titans, but from what you've said, there's a fairly contentious relationship between Jason and Dick, and certainly they have a contentious relationship now in the comics. So the idea that, like, at one point, Dick was like, I'm 18, I can adopt a child. Yeah. So far, I've not seen Dick try to adopt Jason, but the dynamic between them is very interesting. And I think it's being, so far at least, very well done in terms of highlighting all the broken dynamics, because... You know, while while Dick is in this place of, wow, Batman was terrible. I should never have been Robin. Look at how much it screwed me up. And so he sees Jason and thinks, you know, Jason, you need to get free of this. You shouldn't be this anymore. Um, and Jason Todd is just 100% rah-rah, like, you know, oh, I love being Batman and Robin. Being Robin's the greatest thing ever. He also has, like, a street criminal thing. And there's an interesting thing of, like, he wants to beat up cops because cops beat up on him. And I think the writers meant that to be like, look at how troubled Jason is. But I was kind of like, yeah, beat up cops, cops, beat yeah, up street people, you, like Jason. go for you. Um, but it, it, it does create in Dick. And I, I think to me, this is one of the most interesting uh, dynamics. And it sounds like this is someone in the comics. What you see from Dick is that he's very torn because it's kind of the, you know, the the, the thing that, like when I did uh, therapy work, was we, we, we studied a lot. Like uh, you can leave an abusive partner recognize that that partner was abusive and that you are better without them. But then you see them with a new partner and there's a part of you that might be jealous or might think, oh, why can they have a healthy relationship when I couldn't? Or am I being replaced? Or just, you know, all of those kind of very natural things about watching someone else be in the unhealthy relationship that you are in yourself. And I think obviously this isn't a romantic situation. It's a parental one, which is different, but has a lot of the same dynamics. The show, I think, is doing a very interesting job portraying that, you know, conflict. Like, Jason so far is kind of a we, – we haven't really gotten much from his point of view. I'm sure my listeners who've probably seen all of it are writing in to tell me all the things that I'm missing. And I apologize. I was not able to zoom through the first two seasons I wanted to. Just life happened. But I think, Dick, to me, the situation Dick is placed in is very interesting in terms of this question of – Robin's life beyond Batman because it's clear that he thinks he's better off. It's clear that he feels sorry for this Jason guy. It's clear though that he also feels replaced and feels kind of sad and bitter about that. Yeah, and I would say that that's very true to the comics. I mean, they have a different dynamic because uh, Mm -hmm. they are definitely older in Titans. And like I said, Jason is 12 when he first becomes Robin. Mm -hmm. So there's that added element of like Dick is like 20 and he can't real like he's definitely. There's some hurt feelings there, but he can't 
blame Jason because Jason didn't actually do anything and is also literally a child. Right. But it doesn't mean that it's not a painful situation for him. And so he kind of just avoids it. Like there's very, very little interaction between Dick and Jason because Dick is just not around when Jason is Robin. Um, and also uh, Dick very much created the Robin identity. Like Bruce did not say you're going to be Robin and mm-hmm. this is why Robin in many versions of the story was literally Dick's mother's nickname for him. Oh, okay. Because he was born on the first day of spring. Aww. Yeah, it's cute. So, like, I mean, if I had an identity based on my late parents' nickname for me, and then (laughs) my new parent was like, I gave it to another kid. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be pretty upset. I think that would cause him bitterness, you know? Yeah, there's a a lot of bitterness, and the bitterness lasts for a long time. And also, Mm -hmm. like... Bruce is very bad at reaching out to people and being functional. So like when Jason dies, spoiler, when Jason dies, he doesn't tell Dick. Dick like, wow. Yeah. Dick misses the funeral because Mm. Bruce just didn't tell him, but it's because Bruce is like incapable of functioning. Um, the other thing is that, like I said, they like kind of have their little race to see who can adopt Jason first. Bruce had not adopted Dick at that point. So oh, really? He never legally adopts Dick he does, in the, in the, in the he, comics? He legally adopts him years after Jason's death when Tim is Robin and Dick is like fully an adult. Bruce is like, I made a lot of mistakes and I know this doesn't fix everything, but I would like to adopt you if you're on board with that. And Dick says yes. And like, it's part of a step towards repairing their relationship, but nice. Yeah. It's, it's a very nice moment. Um, but again, like he instantly tried to adopt Jason and didn't even think about it with Dick. All right. So let's talk, talk to us about Jason's death and then rebirth. And let's get back into, then we'll move on to Tim Drake. Right. So Jason um, was Robin for really a very short time. And then um, in 1988-89, DC was thinking about killing him off, but they weren't sure if they could get away with killing off Robin. So they very infamously, um, there was a 1-900 number you could call. Like they told this story where um, Jason, he finds out that his biological mother is still alive, which he didn't know that the woman who raised him wasn't his mother. So he goes looking for her and it turns out that she's like all tangled up with the Joker for complicated reasons. And he ends up in the clutches of the Joker and then fans could call a one 900 number and vote whether or not he survived. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, And apparently like the, the part of the reason that, they decided to do this was because Jason was quite unpopular because people saw him as like being a rip off of Dick and they wanted Dick. They didn't want this new replacement. Right. Um, But the vote was actually really close. And there are theories that like the same guy voted to kill him like hundreds of times. (laughs) Notable, by the way, for those who are not of that generation, one 900 numbers were you had to pay for. So like, I, I imagine there were an awful lot of like 15 year olds who called and called and called and then had interesting conversations when the parents discovered the phone bill mm-hmm. of like all these 900 numbers that were called. But yeah, so mm-hmm. so there's some true dedication or some true angry parents, either one. But yeah. go on. 
It's funny, too, because Jason, like, lost comics' biggest popularity contest. He is now arguably the most popular Robin. He is insanely popular with the same kind of fans who probably would have called to kill him off in 1988. Interesting. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he lost. He they voted to kill him, and so he was. The Joker beats him practically to death with a crowbar, and then blows up the warehouse that he's in. Um, okay. And uh, Batman kind of goes off the deep end for a bit. Um, again, understandably, this is his son. Uh, so Jason would be dead for a really long time. He returns in two thousand five, um, and due to like, it turns out he actually came back to life pretty shortly after he died, but he just has been like under the radar. So he has grown to adulthood and now he's in his early twenties. Mm-hmm. He takes the name red hood, which had been used by the Joker early in his career. So it's like a way of reclaiming right. know, something that had been done to him. And basically he's furious that Bruce did not kill the Joker and okay. replaced him with a new Robins. Like, he, he's not mad that Bruce let him die. He's mad that Bruce continued to do exactly the same things that led to his death. Interesting. Okay. So okay. he returns as basically a supervillain and he, he kills bad guys. Like he, do, gener- he does not successfully kill any innocent people, but he does try to kill Tim a few times. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't succeed, but he, he, he attacks Tim. He attacks Dick. He attacks Bruce. He's very, very angry. Um, and, over the past, you know, 15, 16 years since he's been back, he's mellowed out. Um, so he's more of an anti-hero now. And like I said, he's immensely popular. Like he is starring right. in four limited series this fall at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so now talk to us about uh, Tim Drake, the next one who comes along. So Tim, um, Tim is a Batman super fan. Tim was created, uh, if Jason was like, let's just do Dick Grayson again, Tim was, let's create a character who is exactly like our readers, and then they'll have to love him. Um, So Tim, uh, when he was a very small child, he went to the circus with his parents, and he was (laughs) there the night that Dick's parents died. Okay. So it was a super formative experience for him. Um, But he also knows that Dick Grayson is one of the few acrobats in the entire world who can do this, like, one particular stunt. It's like a quadruple somersault or something. Okay. So a few years later, when Tim's only, like, eight, he's watching the news, and Batman and Robin are on the news, and Robin does a quadruple somersault. And Tim, again, is eight, and he's like, oh, my God, Robin is Dick Grayson, which means Batman is Bruce Wayne. Okay. I'm also, my mind is running a little bit with the idea of a Simone Biles as Robin at some point in time, if we do like a crossover with real life, but if she ever wants to be a comic book character, but moving on beyond that. Okay. That would be amazing. So he's figured this out and I assume he, uh, you know, does what eight-year-old boys do with information like this. Well, he's a weird little secretive child. So instead he just, and his parents are pretty neglectful. So Titans, I believe is like, he's, I think he's an orphan in Titans. He's in like a foster home. Um, in the comics, he comes from, like, a wealthy family, and his parents are alive at this point, but they are off on, like, safaris and stuff, you know, with Green Arrow's parents killing lions. Um, and, no, they're, they're not. Green Arrow's parents are dead. Okay. But um, they're, they're, like, off, like, on 
archaeological digs and stuff. And Doing um, rich people things, yeah. They're doing rich people things. And so Tim is kind of just left to his own devices. So he spends his time following Batman and Robin around and like photographing them. And he's just obsessed with them. And so he knows when Dick stops being Robin and Jason starts. And he knows when Jason dies. And he sees that Bruce is losing his mind, that he is like getting more and more reckless. So he shows up at Dick's apartment in New York, not even Gotham. And he's like, hey, you have to be Robin again. And Dick is like, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. Um, And by this point, Tim is 13. So Dick's basically like, well, I'm not going to be Robin again, but you could be. Uh Uh-huh. Because Tim very firmly believes that Batman needs a Robin, like to function. Yeah, and, and that was one of the things I was I was getting throughout this is that at some point it feels like it's no longer that Batman is finding people who need to be Robin. It's that he needs to be he needs a, a Robin. He himself needs a Robin, and that's awesome to me because I I do feel like a lot of times when we talk critically about Batman, there's sort of a sense of we are using the analysis of the 2020s to read into a character from the 1950s or 1970s or 80s or 90s. And I, I don't think that's a good thing to do. I don't think it's wrong. But it's clear that the writers don't think there's anything problematic, you know? And it, it's nice to hear that in some of these later versions, like, no, the Batman writers definitely do think, like, Batman might not be father of the year to all of these <laughs> siblings. And that maybe Batman does need Robin in some unhealthy ways. And and so it's really interesting to hear that, like, that actually is legitimately like written into these things that far back well i don't know that it was necessarily being posited as an unhealthy thing i mean Mm -hmm. whether we think it is and i think also like you kind of have to separate the idea of should we let 12 year olds fight crime as unhealthy from like are the specifics of the batman and robin relationship unhealthy because like obviously robin should not be happening at all Because that's insane. Don't do that. (laughs) But you kind of have to go with it in a superhero universe. Um, But yeah, like it's, it's very metatextual. Like the reason that Robin was introduced in 1940 was because Batman was so grim and needed Mm. something to lighten him up. And that's what Robins do. Even the ones who are not necessarily as perky, like Tim or Damien, they, they add color to the scene they add banter and cheer and it's also narratively it's just useful to have somebody for your character to talk to yeah it's funny there's actually a line in season one of titans where jason is talking about like what why batman needs them and he says like he talked he does say something about like you know we all cheer him up or whatever but then he says in this very sort of like brash 17 18 year old nothing can ever hurt me way he literally says well, and, you know, Dick, why do you think we wear color? It's our job to draw the fire. Oh, bless. And, like, you're just like, oh, you, you are so proud of the fact. Because this is a joke that often gets made of, you know, that the the dark knight, the bat who sneaks around in the darkness, has his sidekick wear bright colors so the bad guys will all shoot at the sidekick and not notice him. And, like, that's putting a lamb out to slaughter. Hopefully, dear God, that's not actually what Bruce is thinking. Yeah. But to have Jason Todd actually say that, but in this proud, like, how awesome is it that I can be cannon fodder, but really good dodging cannon fodder to help him do the stuff? You're just like, oh, it's such a heartbreaking moment. Oh, Jason. There right? was actually, I was going to say earlier, and I forgot, one of my favorite lines that 
Jason or any Robin has ever said is when Jason is Robin, there's like a bit where he's, you know, they're going out to fight crime and Bruce says something like, be careful or like, look out this, you know, whoever they're facing is dangerous or whatever. And Jason says, he's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. And then he says, being Robin makes me magic. Like, he's he's untouchable because he's Robin and it's just like I want to cry every time <laughs> oh, wow. um I, I should note that three of the five Robins have died they're all back now but right I mean high fatality rate here the fit, compared to the fatality rate of DC characters which overall is not low <laughs> but yes I agree with you. anyway so so let's talk more about Tim Drake Tim Drake um yeah so so Tim becomes the new Robin um like basically argues his way into being new Robin and um, Tim is, if, if Dick is the golden boy and Jason is kind of the bad boy, the street kid, Tim is the smart one. He's good at, I mean, this is also because, you know, he's becoming Robin in the early nineties, but he's a hacker. Like he's good at computers. Um, And he like skateboards and stuff. Like he's very nineties. Oh boy. But he, Does he wear the jeans that like hang down and half his back boxer shorts are showing and he's got a long chain that his uh, wallet is on? Eventually, not in like 91, but by okay. the, by, yeah, like 97 for sure. Okay. Um, but uh, Tim is a detective more than the other characters are. Obviously, like he figured out Batman's secret identity. Like he's very much, not that he's like not good in a fight, but he is by far like He's the nerdy Robin. He's the smart Robin. He's the and this is something that's played up to to beautiful effect in the recent story where he uh, comes out is probably the best way to say it, even though that's not exactly what happens. Um, because he's so he's such um, an internalizing character. He's such a a thoughtful character and an introspective character who takes a very, very long time to work things out for himself. Mm-hmm. And so he's, you know, mulling this over and trying to figure out who he is and what he wants. Um, it just, it, it works so beautifully with the character that has been established now for 30 years. Um, but we can, we can come back to that. Um, so Tim is Robin uh, from 89 to 2009 um, with a brief break in 2004 um, when Stephanie Brown becomes Robin. So um, Tim's mother dies very early on, but his father uh, is alive until 2004 and his father finds out that he's Robin and is like, "Uh, no, Uh (laughs) no. And basically makes him stop. Stephanie Brown had been introduced back in 92 um, as spoiler, another teenage vigilante. Her father is this, loser supervillain called the clue master who's just like the riddler he leaves clues to his crimes okay and um steph hates him and she starts leaving her own clues to spoil his crimes hence the spoiler oh good Um, lord i i mean she's she's my favorite okay (laughs) i love her so much um and in terms of like spunky optimistic robins she is by far the She's by far both the most cheerful and the best adjusted. Okay. Um, probably because Bruce isn't her dad the way he is everybody else's. What? Let me back up to Tim Drake then to ask a question. Then we can go back uh, continue yeah. to Stephanie. So am I right that Tim, obviously he had this like psychologically affecting experience of watching the Graysons fall to their death. 
but it sounds like he is not as um psychological he, he is not as like traumatized and needing to work out that trauma through well not that being a robin is the need let me say that so with with tim am i correct that he has had this very traumatic experience certainly of watching the graysons fall to their death but he doesn't have the same like my parents died i'm not over it and being Robin is presented as a way to like deal with that childhood trauma that threatens to consume him the way it would have possibly Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, and Bruce Wayne. Is that correct? That Tim doesn't quite have that that psychological need to do this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tim certainly comes in for his share of trauma later, but in the, at the outset, he is not and really, I don't think he has ever been motivated by trauma. Like, Bruce, Dick, Jason, all motivated by trauma. Tim is motivated more by being a fanboy, honestly. But he's motivated right. by um, admiration. He sees something good happening. He sees that mm. Batman and Robin help. Like, he he loves Batman because when... Dick Grayson is crying over his parents' bodies, Batman shows up and comforts him. Um, so yeah. So to Tim, it's a very aspirational thing Mm. for Steph at first it's spite. And then it becomes much more about, she is explicitly motivated by hope. Like she says to Damien at one point, what we do doesn't have to be motivated by fear. There's room for hope, which is one of my favorite lines. That's a great Um, line. And Damien is motivated by legacy because he's Bruce's kid. Mm, okay. Um, well, and so this actually raises another really good question uh, that I think is kind of essential to understanding who Robin is. And I will say um, uh, some of the later Batman animated, not Batman the animated series, but the one that came after it. Um, the Batman? The Batman, yes, thank you. It, it explored this quite in quite interesting ways, which is the relationship between Robin and Batgirl. And in that one, like, there's a lot of jealousy between the two of them and, and Batgirl kind of being a little more on the outside and Robin being kind of a dick about that. What is – and I think often, therefore, the, the public perception is often that Robin is a boy and if there is a female sidekick who's also younger, then that's Batgirl. Stephanie – like, my understanding is Stephanie has been both Robin and Batgirl. So what yep. – what, like, what what is Robin that – if Robin is not just a male version of Batgirl, which awesome, let's let's throw you know question all the gender lines here. What what does that tell us more about who is Robin and how is that different from her being Batgirl? I think Robin, while Robin can absolutely have his or her own stories, Robin is a sidekick, whereas Batgirl is an ally. Mm, okay. Um. Batgirl has always operated, like, especially um, in the cases of Dick and Jason and Damien, like, they live under Bruce's roof. Like, they're they're right. his sons. They live with him. Tim, very much, like, his dad never knows where the hell he is. He spends a lot of his time in Wayne Manor, and then after his dad dies, Bruce adopts him, too. Um, and during the few months that Steph was Robin, she was absolutely like squire to Bruce's knight. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas even though Bruce is also adopted or offered to adopt um, Cassandra Kane, who is the second Batgirl, um, 
she they they the Batgirls are much more independent. Like when Barbara Gordon first became Batgirl, she was an adult woman. Mm-hmm. She has okay. a living father, uh, Commissioner Gordon. Like they don't. The Batgirls do tend to. They definitely work with Batman, and some of them, at times, it depends on the era and depends on the relationship, will take. Um, direction not orders but direction from him mm-hmm. but they aren't sidekicks in the okay. same way yeah that feels like a very and and, and sounds like they're not adopt certainly that their their alter ego is not you know adopted by and they don't have a parental relationship with bruce wayne it, with Cass is the exception cassandra kane right. is much more of sort of a daughter to bruce um mm-hmm. but Barbara, definitely not. Steph, definitely not. But also, not. she's the outlier with the Robins, too. Um, but yeah, so she, she had this identity as spoiler, um, and she and Tim were friends and eventually started dating. And then when Tim's father said, you can't be Robin anymore, Steph was like, I'll do it. And she was Robin for a few months, and then she was killed by Black Mask, who's the villain in um, Birds of Prey. Okay. Uh, and... Um, she so when Jason Todd died, he got a memorial case in the Batcave with his costume in it. It says a good soldier on the bottom, which is just the most fucked up way to memorialize your dead son. Wow. Possible. Yeah, it's messed up. Mm-hmm. Um, Steph didn't have a memorial case, and DC editorial was like, well, she wasn't really Robin. Oh. Yeah. Oof. Uh-huh. I, I should also say, by the way, in terms of just uh, the deaths of some of these characters. In um, something that is not quite the comic continuity, but still is a very important continuity, I think, for many people, myself included, the animated the animated verse, uh, the animated TV shows, uh, Tim Drake, some people might know him because he is uh, – spoilers for Batman Beyond if you want to mm-hmm. – you haven't seen that. But I think this is a fairly well-known thing and we talk about an episode I did with Paul uh, not very long ago. Uh, he is the former Robin who is very bitter about have it, what happened with um, – uh, Batman and who winds up being uh, in, in part because of his bitterness and anger, but mostly because of, you know, uh, a, a chip and, you know, wacky technology uh, taken over by the Joker. Uh, so, and, and becomes the main antagonist of the, the, I believe it's the Batman of beyond movie. So just to, just to kind of uh, tie those dots together. Uh, what's so, okay. interesting about the animated, the, the Batman, the animated series version or the DCAU version of Tim is that, in personality and backstory, he's actually Jason. Like, that's Jason. Oh, interesting. Okay. They just called him Tim because Tim was the Robin when the show was airing. And mm-hmm. so even though I'm pretty sure that the movie, the Batman Beyond movie that you're talking about predates Jason's return as the Red Hood, it's very much in keeping, it's much more in keeping for Jason than it would be for Tim, which makes sense because that character is much more like was much more drawn from Jason in the comics. Got it. Okay. And I, we're going to focus on those top three, but um, just give us a quick rundown also of Damian Wayne, the, the most recent slash current. Right. So just to take us home. So Steph was killed off. Uh, she comes back a few years later and they're like, oh, she wasn't dead. She was just hiding somewhere. She's fine. Okay. Um, so she comes back as spoiler, thinks she's Batgirl for a couple of years. Then the new 52 erased her from continuity. She came back as spoiler a little bit after that. So she's back as spoiler. Um, in 2006, Bruce Wayne finds out that he has a biological child with Talia Al Ghul, the daughter of Ra's Al Ghul. Um, if you, I'm sure they've been in 
many of the animated films, but mm-hmm. also the Nolan films. Right. Um, although they are not white people in the comics. Um, so Bruce and Talia have a son, Damien. Um, his conception may or may not have been consensual. It depends on uh, the comic, but some co- in some of the comics, Talia drugged Bruce, which is okay. Yeah. To, to be very clear, it's there's never a thought that Bruce Wayne non-consensually impregnated no. her it's okay god just to be very no. clear on that yeah no bruce um, is the victim um or they or they just had a night together it right. it really depends on the comic um so when bruce meets damien he is 10 years old he has been raised by the league of assassins he has murdered many many people and it doesn't understand why that's bad okay. um and he is ready to accept his legacy as the heir to the bat and the League of Assassins, and he does not really understand why there's this other boy in the cave. Uh, so he's going to kill him. And Tim is like, what? <laughs> <laughs> boy. It's pretty great. Damien is a horrible little monster when he's introduced, and I love him so much. Um, but uh, essentially uh, what winds up happening is that Bruce... He, it dies shortly. He's not actually dead. He's lost in time, but everybody thinks he's dead. Um, and Dick has to take over as Batman. And he's like, listen, Tim, my guy, the only way I can control Damien is if I tell him he can be Robin. So you need to be something else. Oh, and Tim God. is like, excuse me, Robin is the only thing I've ever cared about in my whole life. And Dick's like, uh, I already gave him the costume. Oh, wow. Which Wait. is when Tim changes his code name to Red Robin. Red Robin. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Had to do that at least once. Um, I should also note real quick that at this particular point, this is right after after Stephanie died, so that's Tim's girlfriend. His dad died. His fake dad, Bruce, died. Um, and his two best friends, Superboy and Kid Flash, died. All within like a, a couple of years of each other in the comics, which because of time compression, is like a week for Tim. Right. So he had a really bad week. Okay, so with Tim and with Stephanie, we had a brief moment of it is possible to be Robin without guaranteeing that you're going to put the children of some therapist through college. But then with Damien, <laughs> we go right back to the, like, deeply, deeply troubled. Oh, he's, he's uh, like I said, he's a little monster when he first shows up. Um, and... Um, in terms of like relationships between Batman and Robin, the relationship between Dick as Batman and Damien as Robin is actually wonderful um, Mm. because Dick is so much more of a nurturing person than Bruce. And in a lot of ways, it was very lucky for Damien that Bruce died, fake died and got lost in pilgrim times um, when (laughs) Damien showed up because he like Bruce or sorry, Dick, kind of teaches him how to be a person. Okay, I can see that. I can see um, that. And they have a they to to this day they have a truly lovely relationship. Um and so Damien has stayed Robin this entire time. Steph is spoiler, Jason is Red Hood, Dick is Nightwing um when he does not have to sub in as Batman and Tim as we said, became Red Robin when he couldn't be Robin anymore. And then last year, 2019 maybe, he very briefly experimented with um, calling himself Drake as a code name, but that's that's just his last name. Okay, okay. And he had like a new costume to go with it that was very ugly. It was just, it was very embarrassing for everyone. And 
it was so embarrassing that like a few issues later, uh, he went back to being Red Robin and everybody like made fun of himself in the comic for like, oh, that was a bad idea. Oh boy. Okay. Um, and so in the recent story where he comes out, um, he is actually using the code name Robin because Damien is out of town. <laughs> so can't catch him doing it because Tim is very... All he's ever wanted is to be Robin, and he's never quite settled into Red Robin, even though it's been over a decade. Um, and it's interesting because if you look at like when DC um, promotes these stories, because the story that he um, came out in is in an anthology book called Urban Legends, mm-hmm. and um, Urban so Urban Legends has several stories in it. If you look at the covers of these issues, it'll say stories featuring. Uh, Red Hood, Batgirl, uh, Huntress, whoever, and Tim Drake. <laughs> okay, because you know, not everybody needs a secret hero identity. That that's fair. Yeah, I guess not. So so let's talk about some of the dynamics that happen in the Batman Robin uh, dynamic. I think we've been kind of bouncing around a bit, but I want to kind of drill down on some of those, and then we can get to kind of looking at those first three, especially like while they're out on their own. Um, and I, and I, I will note by the way that uh, no, I took it up. So, so first, just to kind of start this off, you mentioned the beginning, but I think it's very important, especially in terms of getting to where Tim winds up. That when Robin was started, Robin was added in part to, you know, help make Batman not be so grim and things like that. Um, talk also though, but obviously that like. Th- this is all happening during the comics code and there's this, all this fear about uh, sexuality and things like that in comics. Where does Robin play into that? Because obviously today we look back on it and, you know, grown man and 12 year old boy and the grown man's dressing up the 12 year old boy in these skin tight outfits. Like there's a lot of bad places our brains go. And those jokes have been made hundreds and hundreds of times and certainly more modern, you know, critics of, of Batman have often said like, Oh, it's homoerotic, blah, 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 blah. What, what's the actual history of that in, you know, 30 seconds or so? <laughs> okay, go. Um, yeah, so, uh, oh, God, I'm, like, blanking, trying to figure out how to describe this quickly. Right, so um, the earlier, the earliest accusations or, or allegations, or however you want to put it, that um, there is a homoerotic subtext to Batman and Robin's relationship um, generally are attributed to... Dr. Frederick Wortham, our old friend, um, the psychologist who uh, basically believed very firmly that comic books led directly to juvenile delinquents. And he wrote a book called Seduction of the Innocent, alleging exactly that. There were Senate hearings about how dangerous comics were, and he was he testified at them. It, it was a whole thing. Those were primarily about sort of the violence and nihilism in comics. Um, They are best known today, and Seduction of the Innocent is best known today for claiming that Batman and Robin are gay. That was like a minor point for him. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely in there. He also was like, Wonder Woman's a big lesbian, which is like, well, she's bi. But you're not wrong. (laughs) Like, the gaydar is on point with that one. Um, And like, the, I mean, the, the... queer subtext in the Wonder Woman comics is absolute, and the kinky subtext or text is absolutely deliberate and canonical. And like, he was reading that very correctly with Batman and Robin, you know, there's, there's sort of three possibilities here. Um, either 
it was completely innocent. And you have to remember, like, we're talking about, this was 80 years ago. This was, this was several generations back, very different cultural mores. Right. Um, so either it was completely unintentional or it was intentional meant in a joking way. Mm. Um, and you see that in like, it's definitely in the, um, Adam West TV show. Like they play that up for laughs. Oh, very, yeah. It's um, very campy. Yeah. It's campy and, and, and it's steering into that curve because it's funny or it could be intentional in more of a positive way, like, uh, sort of an attempt at representation. Not that anybody is saying, you know what's great when an adult man adopts a 12-year-old and begins a sexual relationship with them. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. Right. Um, but, and I, I wish that I could cite this more accurately, um, but many years ago, um, like, right around the time I first saw that Stephanie Brown cover in the, on the shelves, so like 15 years ago, um, I read a book called Batman Unmasked by Will Brooker, and he one of the things he talks about. I think you would love it actually, uh, but he talks about um, perceptions of Batman in pop culture over the decades. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he talks about is the um, interpret the, the homoeroticism, the homoerotic subtext. Um, and he talks about men who, in the forties and fifties, would say, "Yeah, like I wanted to be Robin." And I wanted to live with Batman and I'm gay. <laughs> like this, that was part of that. That was sort of a manifestation of that. Mm. Again, nobody is saying that a 12 year old boy is like, boy, I wish a millionaire would adopt me and sexually abuse me. Right. But in that sort of, I don't quite understand this dynamic cause I'm a kid, but I'm really, really drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he also, if I'm remembering correctly, again, I read this book a very long time ago, but I de- I think I remember him saying that, like, some of the writers and artists played it up deliberately, not as a joke, but just like, oh, I'll put this in the comic, like, not to make fun of gay people, but just steer, again, steering into that curve. And certainly, right. like, they had, like, the Lucy and Ricky twin beds, like, the 50s <laughs> were wild. Yeah, and, and also to be clear, like, in Batman 66... Burt Ward, the actor, was 19. Uh, I, watching as a kid, you know, certainly thought that he was supposed to be, like, an adult man in his 30s and, like, a college kid. You know, Robin, in that TV show, doesn't come off. I think they may say that he's, like, a late teenager, maybe he's, like, 17 or something like that. But he he certainly didn't seem like he was 12 by any means. And then in the Joel Schumacher movies, which I think also um, get – and then we mean the the, – I think Schumacher did both the the second two, right? Um, Yeah, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Right. And, and in those, uh, which my view of which completely changed when I stopped looking at them as Batman movies and started looking at them as gay camp parodies of Batman um, <laughs> through the lens of which they're fantastic. And there again, Robin is clearly a like college age, like young man, not a boy. Yes. Um, so just a, one of the kind of linked thing there. Yeah. And I do think like the idea of, I think Tim is a really interesting character to look at in the context of the idea of a young boy looking at the relationship between Batman and Robin and being really drawn to it and then realizing later in life, oh, I like dudes. Like, right. the fact, like, Tim is fixated specifically on the relationship. I was describing it to a friend as 
At a formative age, he becomes obsessed with the relationship between a stern leather daddy and a beautiful boy in panties. Like, <laughs> that's his origin. Mm-hmm. So, like, there are people who are like, I can't believe Tim is gay now. And I'm like, Tim's been gay since 1989. Or right. bi. We don't actually know. It's not specified yet. And, and here again, I think it's also important, like, it, it, you know, in case someone's listening to this and thinking we're kind of like, um, you know, stereotyping or fetishizing or something like that. You know, it's a known thing that, like, children of any kind of gender or sexual orientation will often kind of imprint upon, you know, as they're first going through sexual awakenings. Like, if, you know, the the, the childhood crush on a teacher, the childhood imprinting upon, like, you know, a friend of a parent or something like that. You yes. know, the the... Those relationships where if the adult involved does anything about it, it becomes horrifically abusive. But for kids to have those feelings or even look back on those feelings as like their earliest sexual kind of understandings, like that is kind of common. So for for Tim to, Tim to have had those feelings and that translate into him as an adult, realizing that he has feelings for not a father figure, but another adult male of his age, like that's not like, you know, outside the realm of healthy sexual development by any means. Right, exactly. Yes, but thank you for for the much more thoughtful uh, <laughs> explanation of what I was being very flippant about. But yes, one hundred percent. And it's also, I mean, there's something also very classically Greek about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think that's that's a that's a thing to definitely think about in, in all this. And I and even I mean even with Tim, like you talk about that part, but I also know that it's part of his character. I, like I I didn't know much about the character until this whole story broke. But I remember that you may be the one who pointed out in literally his first comic. I think on the first page, but maybe you know later in the comic. But certainly in his first ever book that he appears in, there's scenes of like him being kind of adored by teenage girls at his high school, and he's kind of like eh, not really here for it. Yeah, that's a thing. So that's in his first mini series um, that was like a Robin mini series. So a little bit into his development. Um, but when he like really started wearing the costume for the first time, uh, this happens. And it is absolutely a trademark of Tim. And it's something that's very particularly associated with this one writer, Chuck Dixon, who wrote Tim for most of the 90s. Um, but there's this trope that he loves where girls and even sometimes adult women will come on to Tim or throw themselves at Tim or like be in- express interest in Tim to some degree. And he's, he very uncomfortably is like, Oh, Oh no. Oh no. Thank you. Oh, I just right. ate like, mm, no, yeah. Oh no, thanks. <laughs> um, and it's repeated. And I, I will say quite confidently um, that this was not intentional subtext because Chuck Dixon has made a number of quite homophobic statements. Um, But it's one of those cases where trying to depict, I think what it is, is like, look how desirable Tim is. All these girls want him and he doesn't want them. He's so macho. And I'm like, well, he's 90 pounds soaking wet. So I don't know if macho is the word. Um, (laughs) Right. I but mean, it kind of goes back. It kind of goes back to the stuff we talked about a while ago of you know Lois Lane always chasing Superman and Superman being like, eh, not not today, Lois. Well, it's like um, again because there were those accusations in the fifties that Batman and Robin were gay. So um, one of the things the DC did to counteract that was they introduced the character of Batwoman, Kathy Kane, 
um, who was a socialite who was not Bruce. Nowadays, she's Bruce's cousin, but at times she wasn't. And she was super into Bruce and wanted to, or Batman and wanted to get with him. And he was always trying to avoid her so he could hang out with Robin. And I was like, how do you think this makes him look more straight? <laughs> <laughs> Just having a girl there does not make somebody more straight. They have to actually want to kiss the girl, which I, he clearly did not. You know, I mean, this sounds utterly ridiculous, but I still clearly remember being 12 years old and one of our friends, you know, of that age started to hang out with girls a lot and wanted, you know, do stuff with them instead of playing football in the park with us. And, you know, our my friends and probably myself joined in. I, I hope I didn't, but I probably did. I was 12 and an idiot, you know, and being like, oh, my God, he doesn't want to play football. He wants to hang out with girls. That's so gay. <laughs> and then later being like, wait a minute. That's he was not- with the girls. <laughs> but anyway, so, yeah, so I, I think that's really important. And I feel like, and I, you know. We've kind of jumped onto this topic and let's kind of, you know, kind of take it to its, to its, uh, we're not going to say everything we can about it, but kind of really put a point on it. With everything you're saying, it feels like this is why it is so important. Not just that, like, any main superhero character has, you know, come out as being, and let's be clear, we, we know that he's attracted to a particular man and, and men in general. He hasn't, uh, you know, said that he's not attracted to women, so uh, or non-binary folks. So he could be gay, he could be bi, he could be pan. He's somewhere in the queer umbrella, yeah. and he's not the first um, uh, DC superhero by any means to come out. Although he's definitely a maybe the first who's sort of been around with us. Like Tim Drake hasn't been with us forever, but but Robin has, and so he's connected to that. So it's it is significant, but. Like, kind of just to put a put a point on it, what is the significance, you think, of a Robin, and Tim Drake specifically, but especially a Robin, who is now no longer a Robin, coming out as, as uh, being attracted to people of his own gender? I mean, I think it's really important. He is, as Robin, um, one of the... I, I mean, I would say Robin is probably one of the five most recognizable superhero names. Mm-hmm. in existence like just a household name like even if it's not the robin that most people are thinking of it, he's still robin and even if he's not necessarily currently robin he's still a robin um i think that's huge i would say he's probably the highest profile character well, no, because Wonder Woman is now canonically queer, and Harley Quinn is. Um, but with them, he is the highest profile queer character that DC has. Right. For, like, for sure. Um, back in 2011, when they announced their new 52 reboot, they said, we're going to make an A-list character gay. And I was like, is it Tim? Like, I literally, 10 years mm-hmm. ago, I was like, is it Tim? It can't be Tim. They're never going to make Tim queer. And... It, it was Alan Scott, the least well-known Green Lantern. <laughs> of course. Just like, great job, guys. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's hugely important um, that it is a character with such a high level of, like, it's an a, he's an A-list character. He's an iconic character. Right. Um, I think it's hugely important that he's a character who is currently appearing in multimedia projects. Uh, he is debuting in live action for the first time in this season of Titans. And I don't know if they're going to use this because it's such a brand new story and it's possible the whole season was already filmed, but it's still really important. Um, He's also um, a playable character in the um, uh, Gotham Knights video game that I just came 
came out or is coming out. Yeah, it's it's um, Dick, Jason, Tim, and Babs, I think. Um, and like he's a, he's a character who is not just high profile in the comics, but he has been in TV shows. He has been in video games. He's somebody that if you love superheroes, but maybe don't want to get into the weeds of the comics, which understandable, even if I keep trying with you, <laughs> you're still going to know who he is. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I also think it's important that it is Tim Drake specifically. Um, and like, look, I don't think that a single member of the Bat family is straight, Bruce included. Like, mm-hmm. mm, no, I've read a lot of comics. <laughs> no. <laughs> Him and Clark um, have a very complex relationship. They're close. They're <laughs> close. Like, they literally just introduced this guy that Bruce knew when he was, like, training to be Batman when he was, like, 20 and a hot shot. Uh-huh who is queer and I'm like this relationship does not make any sense if Bruce and Ghostmaker are not like college exes <laughs> um but Tim specifically like I said uh earlier he was designed to be the relatable Robin he's the Robin he's the little fanboy Robin you know mm. he's the Robin who's obsessed with Batman and like if he didn't live in the DCU if he was in the real world he would be reading Batman comics like he's he's meant to be the character that the sort of average what DC envisions as their average reader which is at the time that Tim was introduced was included tweens and teens but now is like you know straight white guys 85 or 18 to 35 um that's who Tim is supposed to appeal to. That's who Tim is supposed right. to evoke. And when you have a character like that that's designed in that way and that is aimed at that audience, and then you say, hey, this character can be queer, and it does not make him any less relatable. It does not make him any less like you or any less of badass or any less interesting. Uh-huh. That's really important, and it's... For me, it's very heartening because, you know, I've I've been looking at how people are responding to this and DC tweeted about it a bunch and the, you know, they'd put up a tweet and you'd have like maybe a hundred replies that are like, this is terrible. You ruined Tim Drake. And then thousands and thousands and thousands of likes and hundreds of replies saying, this is wonderful. Thank you. I'm so happy. I'm so excited. This is so cool. Well, and it's interesting also that you call you talk about it in terms of like why it's so important that it is. Uh, it's interesting also that you talk about it in terms of why it's so important that the straight white audience be able to see themselves, all, all the straight audience, but especially that as like their target demographic, be able to see themselves in a character who isn't straight. But because to me, the other part, what I would think it is, and maybe I'm wrong, so I'm coming in as an outsider, but that. I think this is such an important thing that comics are having to do is also a recognition of not all of our readers are straight. Not all of our readers yeah. are men. Not all, like to me, it's also a real recognition of like, yeah, our, there are, you know, all sorts of genders and orientations among our fan base. And what a great way of like, for those fans, especially who so often maybe get told like, wait, you're, you're a queer kid and you're reading comic books. Don't you know, like these are for like straight white boys. Like, I know I've heard people of color and women talk about how important it was to have their fandom be acknowledged and appreciated. I can imagine the exact same thing could happen here if Tim really is seen like you're talking about as the kind of embodiment of the average fan. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I I certainly didn't mean to um, 
Oh yeah, no, I don't think you did. By any means. Yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm glad that you brought it up because that's also hugely important. And like DC posted um, like basically an op-ed on their own website after this issue came out. Um, And I do want to pause also and, and note that the story about Tim, if people want to read it, can be found in Batman: Urban Legends issues number four, five, and six, and it was written by Megan Fitzmartin and drawn by, um, I apologize, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Belen, Belen, it's like Helen, but with a B, I, I'm saying it so wrong, I'm so sorry, Ortega, and it's, it's wonderful, it's, it's absolutely beautiful to look at, it's so enjoyable, um, they get the character so right, uh, it's just, it's a lovely, lovely story. So I do want to say like, it's a great story. It's not just DC doing this. It is these, this creative team doing something wonderful. That's um, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for that acknowledgement. But, um, but yeah, DC posted this, this basically this op-ed piece on their website um, that was like, this is a victory for queer fans who have seen themselves in these characters for so long and specifically said, queer fans love Robin. Queer fans have seen themselves in these characters and listed off not just Tim and his relationship with his best friend, who's one of the super boys, but Dick and his relationship with his best friend and Jason and Steph and Damien. Like, again, nobody in the Bat family is straight, but like (laughs) these, it is absolutely a victory for, I don't want to say that like I'm the authority on it, but yes, it is, it is something that I hope, queer yeah. fans and certainly every queer bat fan i know is celebrating from the rooftops absolutely i mean to me as someone as someone who's queer and is gender queer like i just was so thrilled about it and that's why i wanted us to talk about it and we could just go so deep on on tim uh and i, I wanted us to kind of make sure that those points were made but but pulling us back a little bit too because i think there, there has been also a lot of other great commentary and i'm gonna try and direct people to some of that in the in the show notes but kind of so so Tim at least it feels like he's getting to have a healthy relationship. He's getting to have some kind of a healthy life outside of his time with Batman. He hasn't come up with a good name yet, like <laughs> Red Robin and Drake, both not working for us. Uh, let's. I think we've been talking about it overall already, but let, I just want to kind of get back to this question of for all three of them, as well as for Stephanie and Damien, but but for the the big three especially, like, what do you think is really important about? Like, it's interesting now that we have so many different iterations of a sidekick and yet also so many stories about that sidekick when they stop being a sidekick, you know? And I I know we get that with some other characters, but it feels like Robin especially that's true of. What do you think is the significance of that? Why do we keep getting stories about Robin when they're no longer with Batman? I mean, I think it, it goes back to the deep attachment that readers and especially young readers have to Robin. Like, you want you want to see the character because the thing like with Dick, he grew up essentially along with the readership of comics. So when the assumed reader was a small child, he was a small child. And when the assumed reader was a tween, he was a tween. And when the assumed reader was in high school, he was in high school. Um, So he doesn't grow up in real time, but he does grow up with the the people who are reading him. Um, But we get attached. Um, We can't have, I mean, and it's a running joke with Tim because Tim was introduced at, in 1989 as a 13-year-old, um, and he has scooted up to 18 and then back down to 16 and then up to 18 and then back down to 16 like five times. Like okay. He keeps almost going to college and not quite making it. Um, 
but they do grow over time. We see them grow over time and they age out of the Robin costume or they die. Um, but we don't want to let go of them because we are attached to them. And because Batman is such a rich character and such a rich franchise mm -hmm. that you can do so much with that dynamic. Like even once the Robin is no longer Robin, there's still so much narrative meat there. And right. also between those characters, because all five of these characters have a really interesting dynamic together. Yeah, it's interesting how, um, you know, on the Marvel side of things, the, the Fantastic Four that always talked about is, you know, the first family of Marvel, the first family of comics in terms of like all their interfamily dynamics and drama. And, and maybe that element of, you know, in the 60s, we weren't getting that from DC. But certainly I feel like at this point, the Waynes and adopted and, you know, uh, corollaries can certainly rival the Fantastics for being, you know, dysfunctional family number one and also the family just where we where we know the most about their internal family dynamics and where the family dynamic like the 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 effect of bruce wayne as a adoptive parent in both clearly a lot of negative but also some positive ways i think definitely are just so significant for the stories of so many major characters now mm -hmm. yeah i mean i would say the the waynes or the bat family however you want to put it are significantly more dysfunctional than yeah. <laughs> the uh, Storm Richards's, Storm That's Richards Grimm's. Um, one thing I'm really enjoying in the the Titan show, and I'm wondering again if this you see this in comics, and also just kind of talk about this issue in general, is that Dick at first, like the first time we kind of realize what he's doing, he goes out to fight crime, no longer connected to Bruce, no longer connected to Batman, very significantly now in Detroit, not in Gotham City, but he does it dressed as Robin. And there's a whole thing about Robin, you know, the, the press is like, oh, Robin's back and Robin's now free of Batman. And one of kind of the overarching themes of season one is Dick realizing like he can't be Robin anymore. And I, I, I start this because I think it's really interesting that all of these characters have a different identity on their own. You know, Nightwing or Red Hood or Red Robin or, you know, whatever it is. I, I can't stop doing that. Um, <laughs> but is that... Do you, what do you think is the significance of that, of each one of them feeling like, if I'm no longer with Bruce, I can't be Robin anymore. I need to kind of go off on my... I need to have a new identity, not just my own, my own independence. Well, I think... I mean, it's, it's noteworthy that certainly neither Nightwing nor Red Hood were original to Dick and Jason using them. Red Hood, like I said, had been used by the Joker before. And um, Nightwing was actually um, a Kryptonian hero, like of, of folklore uh -huh. that Superman had once told Dick about. And like Dick also very much looks up to Superman. So he was like, that's a good name. I'll use that. Um, oh, interesting. So even within the context of the stories, they're not coining their own names. And um, <laughs> Red Robin had been used by Dick in an alternate universe and Jason in a different alternate universe before Tim used it. <laughs> of course. So these are not original boys uh -huh. at all. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I do think that... Um, Dick's breaking away originally is less perhaps fueled by anger and violence than it seems to be on Titans. I feel like Titans really went for the edgy 
angle mm-hmm. on it. And with, with Dick, I think he just kind of realizes that he's sort of, it's reached its end point. Right. Um, he's, he's outgrown it. Like yeah. he's literally outgrown it. He's a grown man and he's wearing short pants and it's, it's time to not be that. And he, there's a, a famous scene in the new Teen Titans where he like strips out of his costume in front of the whole team um, <laughs> where, and he makes a speech about how he's like not Robin anymore. So he's only got like the little green, like unitard on underneath and they're oh, like, boy. well, what should, what should we call you? And he's like, I don't know. I'm going to think about it. Nice. Um, but yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's, it's portrayed as very much like a, a really natural coming of age. Um, whereas for Jason, it's very different because it was being Robin was violently ripped away from him. And then when he came back, like he crawls out of his own grave and then he is in a coma and has amnesia for years. So he outgrows it in a profoundly traumatic fashion because he dies as a 15 year old and, becomes conscious again as a 19 year old and is like what okay um so i think he sort of has to forge something new because the name's already taken and years have gone by right like he doesn't really have another option and then with tim he was sort of kicked out of it lovingly but he was kicked out of it and i also think the point you made a while ago about how like we're starting to explore robin exists like both as a part of Batman and kind of the meta text of like, you know, Batman and Robin, the comics, but also just like Robin is a part of Batman and that like Batman kind of needs a Robin. And so, yeah, I, I guess I can understand that. And I think it's a very interesting commentary on that relationship of if you're no longer not only partnered with Batman, but if you're no longer Batman's sidekick, then yeah, you're no longer Robin. That those two things are really very much linked because as you said, like it, the, a, Robin without Batman kind of doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and you can go off on your own temporarily, mm-hmm. but you eventually come back. And we're seeing some really interesting stuff with Damien there because he is also, I mean, he's he's still, he's only 14 at this point. He's still young. He's not quite ready to outgrow the mantle, but he is definitely chafing in his relationship with Bruce. And so he's mm-hmm. trying to pull away, but not relinquish the Robin identity and, and, it becomes a question of whether that is a possibility or not. Right. Now, I think I know where you're going to, what your immediate answer to this is going to be, but I want to kind of like see if there's there's some depth to it and and a little bit of both sides of it. Although I think we're going to lean pretty much on one side. It, It seems like one of Bruce Wayne's central conceits is that he is helping, especially at least with the kids who are super traumatized, like Dick and Jason, and then maybe Damien that certainly with, with Dick and Jason, that he is helping them. That he he see that in the same way that as broken as as Bruce Wayne slash Batman is, that this might be kind of the healthiest path that Bruce Wayne could have been on, especially given like whatever therapy options he had at the time. And that he kind of feels like, yeah, turning a Dick Grayson or Jason Todd into a Robin isn't maybe like the pinnacle of psychological health, but is a way to help them channel the the trauma and the feelings of desire for revenge and desire for justice that is significantly better than it than it might have been had they run loose on their own. So I guess I guess the kind of question is I, I feel like overall we can kind of say like Bruce would have done a lot better if he'd hired some therapists instead of spending so much money on uh, the toys. But like 
do you think overall the perspective of these stories or your perspective is that like he has done some good for them, even if it's definitely like very self-serving in a lot of ways and very much about the mission and not their own health and has definitely left some real scars that are still part of the stories today? Well, the thing to keep in mind is that we're talking about 80 years of stories and hundreds and hundreds of them. So um, this is sort of a debate that rages in fandom, right? Is Bruce, is Bruce a good dad or is he an abusive dad? Right. Um, is the simplistic way of putting it. And the answer is yes. Yeah. Um, because I can right now pull up a bunch of panels of Bruce being like an absolute horror show. <laughs> right. Do not ever trust this man with your child. And I can also pull up, you know, plenty of panels that are, are lovely, that are really sweet and um, that really show that Bruce did have a good effect on these kids' lives and a good relationship with them, at least at some point. Um, and so, I mean, for me... I prefer a Bruce who's not great at this, but is trying really hard and doesn't mm. always get it right. Cause I think that's most interesting. Yeah. And probably most, most parents to some degree or another. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like the, I'm just thinking of a panel from very early on in Jason's tenure where he starts crying and Bruce goes to hug him. And I don't think this is on purpose. I think the artist just was bad at drawing hugs. But it really <laughs> looks like Bruce has no idea how to do this. Okay. <laughs> but he's trying really hard. Yeah. And, like, I love that. Um, and, and I really like what you said also about that there's some level of introspection of, like, that, that there's some versions of the story where Bruce sees how damaged Dick is and has some feeling of, not only a regret, but of like, okay, what can I learn from that to try and do better next time? Yeah, no, absolutely. And like, I would say that for the most part, for the past, since the mid nineties, Dick and Bruce have had a pretty good relationship. Like they'll fight sometimes, but things are pretty good between them. Um, They, they sort of buried that the tension that was simmering for a long time. Um, And uh, Bruce and Jason have a really volatile relationship. And, and in the same issues as that Tim Drake story in Urban Legends, there is a story about Bruce and Jason um, that ends with, like, basically the two of them have to team up to fight Mr. Freeze and a new villain. And they are butting heads the whole way through. And at the end of the story, they are both so the, the the new villain has this drug that lets you see like your ideal world. Mm. And in both of their ideal worlds, they have a functional family and they're all together. Aww. And it's like sunlit and beautiful and wonderful, but neither of them are able to really genuinely make that overture. Like they both kind of try a bit. Like Jason's like, I'm not going to use guns anymore. Okay. Mm. Goodbye. Because that's a big stumbling block for them. Obviously, Bruce hates guns. And Bruce, right. like, he just kind of lets him go. But then he, like, sneaks into his apartment and leaves an invitation to, like, family dinner. Which is like, Bruce, <laughs> you could have just asked him while he was right there. But it's one of those things where, like, they can't quite get there. They're trying to get there. But I don't know if they'll ever quite get there. Because in the same way that Bruce Wayne will never actually heal 
because then you don't have a story anymore. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's certainly also true. And that's the, you know, I, I, I've talked before about why I like Friday Night Lights because it portrays a healthy romantic relationship between the two sort of main adult characters. And that's so damn rare in television. Because, yeah. Mo- yeah, drama makes much better stories. Happy relationships don't necessarily. Well, uh, and even in a TV show, eventually it will end. No TV show ran for 80 years. Right. And, and I think also that's another point that you were kind of making earlier that, and I think this is something that we deal with with ethical questions all the time, by today's modern psychological understandings and understanding of child rearing and child development and stuff like that, I think if you created a story about a Bruce Wayne who in 2021 watches Dick Grayson's parents fall to their death and decides to turn 12-year-old Dick Grayson into a life of crime, like, I don't think there's a way to make that character redeemable. Because I don't think, like, there's any way to understand Bruce Wayne knowing what we know about child rearing today. I mean, I think you probably could have said this 80 years ago, too, but especially today. But that, like, to apply that to 60 years ago gets harder, you know? And I think I, I like the fact that it seems they have taken... You know, like you said, there's a lot of ways in which the Batman-Robin story makes sense at a time when homophobia was so rampant that the idea that there would be any kind of homoerotic subtext was not even thought of, you know? Or, in theory, that was the case. It certainly never probably really was. But, like, just the the, the cultural context in which the Batman-Robin story has been told has changed so dramatically over those 80 years that I think, to me, it gives me some happiness that the authors are clearly understanding that and are trying to modernize the take on it, you know, and let us get to a point where instead of it being Bruce as just the perfect parent, that often it is. Yeah, like he did some real damage to these kids and he also yeah. had some good intentions and that all that we can live in all that complexity without being black and white, either that he saved these kids lives with no consequences or that he was absolutely perfect. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you see that in cases of like, um, both Tim and Steph are extremely um, uh, self-motivated and becoming superheroes. They have, they have, they're the drivers in those stories. They are the ones who decide this is what I'm going to do. It's not a case of Bruce finding a kid and going, okay, um, time to make this kid a superhero. And then with Damien, you're already in a situation where you have this 10 year old who has been taught to kill. So what do you do with that? Like, yeah, there's this, there's this understanding that no, actually you can't have a millionaire find an orphan and teach them karate and (laughs) send them out against guys with guns. It's not going to work. But like I said at the beginning, it's also very much a trope of the genre. Like I like also probably don't dress up as a bat to fight crime. And also like if you wear a domino mask, I'm still going to (laughs) recognize you. And we let that go because it's the genre and we love the genre. And I do think it's interesting. And and this conversation was had a lot more between me and Paul on an earlier episode, but I'll give you kind of a moment to quick comment on it. I I do think there's something very interesting about the fact that I think one of the most successful uh, versions of a character who is a younger person who is being tutored and mentored by Bruce Wayne is Terry McGinnis, who is very much not Robin. He is... Batman because Bruce Wayne is no longer physically able to fulfill the Batman role. And I I don't know how how much you've seen Batman Beyond, but to me, one of the most interesting things is how much that show was about a very different kind of relationship in part because 
it's no longer about Bruce being the physical mentor. It's Bruce having to recognize his own age, his own frailty, and accept that now the the the, the new person who becomes literal Batman is doing what he can't do anymore. And that mm-hmm. that fundamentally changes the dynamic between him and his mentee. Yeah, for sure. So I think that's probably a, a good way to wrap up. Uh, any other kind of last things you wanted to comment on or jump into before we wrap, before we uh, head out? Um, I just I just really love Robins, and I'm very excited to see where Tim's story goes. Um, we're not going to really get an update on it until December, unfortunately. Um, but I'm looking forward to that, and I just really hope that like because there are so many Robins, he is a little bit of the spare Robin because Dick and Jason are wildly popular Damien is the current Robin Steph is the girl so it's a little bit different and so um that is I like I said earlier I do think that Tim has been coded as queer for a very long time but I think a big part of why DC I think that's why the writer identified this as a story she wanted to tell Mm. she said that that's why but I think that's why DC was willing to take the risk because if it doesn't go over well they can kind of you know put Tim on the shelf for a while yeah. and I really I want them to keep him off the shelf I want to see him go on his date with Bernard I want to see him find a new code name I want to see him you know tell his family um I'm just very excited to see where this goes and I hope DC sticks with it awesome yeah I, I'm so glad you've helped me to better understand it I'm not really excited to see it I, I I'm gonna try reading some of these I'm deep into a Thor project that I'll be talking about at a later point. Uh, so I'm reading some Thor comics. I am trying to kind of, you know, open my brain to that particular way of reading things. I, I just don't process visual stuff very well. It's not that I don't like comics. I think it's a great Fair medium. Fair enough. Uh, more explaining to the audience. We're like, how do you have a podcast about comic books? We don't listen to comics. We're <laughs> comic books. The one last thing I just will say, because I just think it's such a um, a charming part of the, the Robin character, especially Dick Grayson, that I've seen in both uh, Young Justice and also in titans and i'm sure it comes up other places is you know bruce wayne obviously like you know as he says in the the justice league movie or the yeah in the justice league movie one of a few lines in that movie i like flash asked him well what's your superpower and he says i'm rich and <laughs> there's a said to which he's always he's able to hang with these people who have superpowers both because of like the incredible like to me the world's greatest detective part but also just like he has these toys that basically make him a superhero and there are some great moments that I've just loved so much where Robin has to kind of realize, wait a minute, I don't have any, I'm here with Wonder Girl and Superboy and, you know, Hawk Girl and all these people. And I, they have flying and laser eyes and I have a metal rod. And it's mm-hmm. just kind of a really fun moment of like him still being able to be a hero and often the leader from this position of he doesn't have like, there's a whole other thing we can get into about how, um, Robin and Harley are very much kind of mirror images of each other. And t- to me, one of the coolest parts about them is in the same way, like if you watch the Suicide Squad movie, the most recent one is great. Jessica and I did a whole episode on it. Check it out. Harley's hanging out with all of these super amazingly powerful, badass supervillain types. And she can do a lot of flippity flops and has a metal rod, you know, that she hits people with or a baseball bat. And Robin's the same way. And it just makes them, to me, such relatable and awesome characters. Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's the appeal of, of Batman and Robin, um, that theoretically any of us could learn how to do backflips and 
fight crime if we were also billionaires. You know, um, there. Speaking of the money, as as a, a, a parting shot, there's a great moment um, that happened a few months ago in the comics. Um, Bruce, quote unquote, lost all his money. By which I mean that he is currently upper upper middle class and not a billionaire. <laughs> of course. Um, which it's a whole thing. I'm sure he'll become a billionaire again very shortly. Um, but uh, Bruce or Barbara and Dick and Tim all kind of find out about this at the same time. And Tim says, does this mean we're not getting allowances anymore? <laughs> and Barbara says, you guys get allowances? And Dick says, technically mine's a stipend. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. I'd love to see that. And Matt, you asked me what the difference between Robins and Batgirls is. It's whether or not you get a, an allowance. <laughs> wow. Okay. There's so much to unpack there. We'll get to another time. But uh, Jessica, as always, thank you so much. Uh, love having you on here. Love your perspectives. Uh, for our audience members who want to find out more about what you're doing and thinking these days, where can they find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jess underscore Plumber. Um, I do a lot of writing about comics and other bookish things at bookriot.com. And I have a short story in uh, Swordstone Table, an anthology of Arthurian, diverse Arthurian retellings and uh, fiction from uh, vintage books that just came out last month. Um, so please feel free to check any of those out. Yeah, it is a great story. I love it. Uh, we actually have a great affiliate deal where if you there's a link in the show notes to this. If you buy the uh, buy the book through that, uh, it, you'll be buying it from a local bookseller. So Jeff Bezos won't get any of your money because we know he's not going to use it to become a superhero. And frankly, if we did, he'd probably use his superpowers to bust unions. So like, yeah, mm-hmm. no, no, no super billionaires becoming super superpowers. Please just stop being billionaires. But but anyway, yeah, so definitely um, use that affiliate link. It'll be a couple of dollars cheaper for you. Uh, read the story. It's fantastic. The other stories in it are really great, too. It's such a wonderful way to take these, like, literally definitionally archival, you know, not archival, um, archetypal stories and tell them in new and interesting ways from voices that don't always get to tell those stories. So please check that out. And of course, um, let us know what you think of this. What, who's your favorite Robin? What do you think of Robin outside of the Batman dynamic? Who do you think has had the best run outside of being Batman? You know, Nightwing, Red Robin, uh, Red Hood, Batgirl, uh, who, any of them. What, what do you think? Let us know. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter at The Ethical Panda. It's kind of the name to plume that I use for uh, publishing online. Uh, you can also go to the website, theethicalpanda.com, or just email me at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. There, of course, you'll find information about this podcast as well as my other podcast, Star Wars Universe Podcast. We just did a full uh, coverage of every episode of The Bad Batch. We're taking a break at the moment, but in a few weeks we'll be back and we're going to do coverage of Star Wars Rebels uh, and starting getting ready for all the new Star Wars content that's coming soon. I've just heard that uh, the Andor Cassian TV show has uh, wrapped up production, so I'm super excited for that. Mandalorian's coming soon. New Boba Fett's coming soon. Lots of great content. It'll all be there. And of course, you can find these podcasts and so many more great podcasts on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. So please check all that out. Uh, check out Jess's writings, both online and in that great book. And most importantly, have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>